We have a few announcements this morning about our upcoming events. You'll find more information about these in your bulletin or out in the main foyer. We're partnering again with the Whiteside Summer Lunch Program to help feed the kids in our community who rely on free school lunches during the school year. Join us to pack lunches on Tuesdays at 11.30 a.m. at the church. For July and August, we're collecting school supplies for the Operation Christmas Child Shoe Boxes in partnership with a local homeschool group. You can drop the supplies off in the foyer all summer long. Just a note, they already have enough crayons. You can see the full list of supplies needed in the foyer or on the website at bfcn.org events. So some of you may be wondering, what's the deal with offering? Well, here at BFCN, we believe that giving is an act of worship. But it is something personal between you and God. That's why we no longer pass a plate. We don't want you to give out of compulsion or guilt. However, that doesn't mean giving isn't important or that we don't honor that here. So, if we don't take up offering anymore, what are some ways that you can give? Well, there are still offering plates, but they're in the back, and you can leave your gift and it will be collected by the ushers after the service. You can also give online at bfcn.org give. There is a QR code in the bulletin for your convenience. However you choose to give, we encourage you to take a moment to meditate on your gift, what it demonstrates about your trust in God, and be intentional about acknowledging it as part of your worship this week. As the word says, God loves a cheerful giver. Join us this month for Youth Nights, August 6th and 20th at 5.30 here at the church downstairs. The ladies will be meeting for breakfast and coffee on Wednesday, August 23rd at 9 a.m. We'll be announcing the location soon, so stay tuned. We'd love to have you with us for Lunch Bunch at Eckert's on August 30th at noon. For more information about these and other events, check out our website at bfcn.org events or follow us on Facebook. There's lots of ways to get involved with your church community. Now, let's worship the Lord together. Okay, there's one more announcement. Uh, this is a last-minute thing. Uh, me and Larry have been talking about it for a little while, but we finally got something set in stone, I think. Uh, but in the past, I remember having more than one conversation with Mike Peters about uh, going to tractor pools, and he always wanted to know if I'd be interested in going. Well, we never got around to going to one, but me and Larry decided that maybe we need to do that. And uh, we want to do it kind of in memory of Mike because he was always asking us about it. Uh, but so we have planned a Mike Peters special honorary super duper tractor pool palooza men's ministry event. <laughs> we thought he would enjoy that title. Um, Larry said that he heard laughter when I sent that to him. Um, but anyways, that will be on August 18th. Um, it's going to be in Pickneyville at their fairgrounds. Uh, it's like an hour away, I believe. And so we're going to leave here that Friday at 5 p.m. And the show starts at 7 p.m. Uh, it's $20 a person. I believe 
12 and under may be half off or I don't know. It's really unclear because we heard two different things, but it may be even free for 12 and under. Uh, so be prepared for that. Um, but yeah, $20 a person Friday at five o'clock on the 18th. Um, so if you're interested in going, that's for men's ministry event. Um, bring all your friends. Uh, let me or Larry know if you're interested in going so we can kind of have an estimate of uh, how many is going to want to go. And hope to see you there. Thanks. Here comes Mr. Stu. A significant event happened this Thursday. Somebody is a year older, and that somebody doesn't toot his own horn very often, so we're going to toot it for him. Happy birthday, Bo! Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Bo. Happy birthday to you. And many more. He got mad at me when I sang that to him on Thursday when he got here for practice, so I can't imagine how he feels about it now. <laughs> Love you. Okay. All right, that's great. Praise the Lord for birthdays and tractor pulls. Am I right? All right. <laughs> That's fantastic. If you guys would, if you're able, you can stand. We're going to honor the Lord this morning in song. I'm just going to say a brief prayer as we just center ourselves on his presence. Just always want to take that opportunity to just pause and breathe and remember why we're here. Because it's easy to come and do the things that we do out of routine. We hear the announcements. We sing a song. We hear a sermon. We have communion. But we want to be intentional in everything that we do. So, God, we just are so grateful for you, for beautiful opportunities to gather with our brothers and sisters, to honor one another in love. We're grateful for birthdays and friends and tractor pulls and men's events and women's events and breakfast and all the things that you have blessed us with, God. We are grateful. And we know that those things are not just silly things. Those are important things that we do as we gather and we connect as a community. That's what you've called us to do, to love one another, to fellowship, to honor you. And we take this opportunity to sing together in one voice to worship you, God, because you are worthy, because you are good. And even when we have hard things, and it maybe feels hard to see your goodness, we still choose to gather together to lean on the faith of our brothers and sisters and to declare these truths by faith. And when times are good and we see your goodness clearly, we celebrate your gifts and we still sing these words, these truths to you, God. So be with us this morning, wherever we are, each of us. If we're struggling, if we need the joy of our brothers and sisters, 
if we are bringing the joy this morning, God, help us. It's good for us to rejoice in your presence and to show it so that our brothers and sisters who are struggling can lean on us. Lord, help us to come to you authentically this morning, wherever we are, to worship you, to celebrate you and your many gifts. We thank you, God. Amen. Let's sing together.
these truths about our God. Amen. Sometimes we need to be reminded. This morning I'm going to read to you this call to worship. I didn't really plan this, but the Lord knows. We're reading from the same chapter that our message was from last week, Jeremiah 29. This is a popular verse that you know. Pastor Nicole referenced it. And I just want you to think about the context of what we were reading, which was earlier in the chapter. As we read this, that Pastor Nicole graciously led us through. If you haven't heard the message, you can go and hear it online. But we are recognizing that even when we're in a season that we didn't ask for, we're in a place where we don't want to be, that God says, I am with you. And that even when it doesn't look like things are going the way that you had hoped, he says, that he is giving you hope. He is your hope. And that his plans for you are always good. Always good. I love Corey Asbury's line, the story isn't over if the story isn't good. Because that's true. We believe that that's true based on the word of the Lord. So let's read this together from Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11 through 13. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Amen. We gathered this week on Wednesday, some of us, to pray, to call on him, to seek him. And I believe that we found him. And we continue to do that this morning as we worship, as we pray together. He promises if we seek him with all of our hearts, that we will find him. So let's seek him this morning. It's the greatest thing that we could do. The greatest accomplishment of our day would be to find the Lord. Not that he's hard to find, because he's not. But we need to seek him, to remember, to acknowledge his presence so that he can reveal himself to us in a new way. Amen. I love this song, and I, I just want to remind us as we sing it, because it's familiar and we know it, and it's easy to just sing it and not think about what we're saying, but this is a beautiful song. This is my favorite hymn. All of these words are so true and so good, and I think a lot of times we sing them, we don't think about what we're singing, and sometimes we don't even mean it. So I'll ask you this morning, read the words, see what you're saying, and if you don't mean it, don't say it. Just pray and ask the Lord, why am I struggling with this? Why do I not believe this? But if it's not true, don't say it. But if it is true, or you are gonna sing it by faith, even though it doesn't feel true, sing it out. But think about what it means as we sing this together. And I want to just say, there's this part in the song, and every time I sing it, I smile because it says, Thou my great father, and I thy true son. And it's funny because I'm singing it up here and I'm a girl. But it's a beautiful promise. John said, What love the father has lavished on us that we would be called sons of God. Some translations say children, but that word in the Greek actually says sons because it is a privileged position. In the ancient world, only sons could inherit. And when Jesus came, he said, I'm going to give you all the inheritance of, this, of my kingdom. 
So we've all become co-heirs with Christ. And he calls us, sons and daughters, to the position of the son, of the heir. So ladies, sing it proudly because it is an honored and privileged position that God says, I no longer see a distinction between you two, but you are my children. You are my heirs. You are equal in God's eyes this morning. And that is a blessing. So I just want to throw that out there. Because you might think, oh, that's so sexist. It's the opposite. It's the opposite. He's saying the opposite of what you think. It's actually an honor. And we're just embracing that biblical language that's placed in a culture that was sexist, which is why he said it. What great love the Father has lavished on all of us, that we would be called the sons of God. Amen? Let's sing this together.
name it is the name 
This morning, let's continue to uh, just remain in a posture of openness before God as we join together as a body in prayer. Um, We had such a beautiful time of prayer on Wednesday night, as Nikki referenced earlier, and um, it was just... I think it was meaningful because we were very intentional to say that we are in this this space of prayer with an agenda, but we are simply opening ourselves up to God, and we're just saying, here I am, God. What is it that you want to say to me? Um, And so there's there's space for both, that during this time, you can absolutely bring your cares and burdens before the Lord. You're invited to. Jesus invites us to bring those things that are weighing us down before him, to lay them at his feet, if you will. And so that's part of what we do this morning. But there is also room for us to simply come before God, to open ourselves up, to open up our hearts and say, God, here I am. What is it that you want to say to me? How do you want to speak to me this morning, God? What am I missing? What is it that I can receive from you? And so I invite you to do both one or the other this morning, depending on where you are and and what you've kind of carried into this place. But let's join together in prayer this morning. God, I just want to acknowledge this morning your faithfulness. And God, I thank you for the ways that you reveal yourself to us. And God, I just want to praise you. Uh, Last week, I feel like you um, really, you really revealed yourself to many different people last week in many different ways. And it was such a beautiful thing. God, it was encouraging to see people who were responding to the invitation to be present before you, to be present before one another and to go forward with hope knowing that, that yes, we go out into a very dark and broken world, but we carry this incredible hope that we don't go alone. That God, this is your uh, mission, if you will, to reach the world. That God, you have such a care for the world that is lost and that is broken and you don't need to use us, you don't have to use us, but you invite us to participate in the new thing that you are already doing. And so God, I, I just praise you for the ways that I saw you strengthen us and meet us where we were last week and it was just a beautiful time and so God we give you glory we don't come here just for us to to check off a box to please any person God we come here for you all that we do in this place is all for you 
It's not for the good of the institution of the, the name Belleville First Church of the Nazarene. It's not for any person. It's not for me. It's not for any person on this platform. But God, all that we do here is for your glory so that we can see your kingdom come on earth in Belleville as it is in heaven. And so God, when you are faithful to, to reveal yourself to us, to encourage us, to move in such an obvious way, we give you praise for that. Because there are some things that only you can do. There are many things, God, only you can do. And I am so grateful and I always stand in awe of the ways that you move and especially when we need it the most. And I guess I'm saying all that, Lord, I'm asking, God, would you do that again? God, as we come into this, this, this worshipful moment through prayer, God, we, we pause and we open up our hearts to you. And we ask you to come. Encourage us. Holy Spirit, would you be present? Would you comfort us? Would you bring us peace? Would you draw us to your word and help us, God, to see what it is that you want to say to us today so that when we leave this place, we can leave confident in all that you are and all that you will do for us, God. God, we pray for those who aren't able to be here today, for those who are recovering from, from injuries, from falls, from illnesses. God, those who are dealing with sickness this morning. God, you, you see all of them. You know what it is that they're dealing with. And God, I pray that you would draw near to them. That, that whatever it is that they're dealing with, while that may have kept them from being here this morning, God, nothing can keep your presence from your children who you see and love. And so, God, I pray that you would overwhelm those who are watching at home. God, would you overwhelm their homes with your presence? I know that they want to be here physically in this place, but God, I pray that, that this is one of those moments that that your spirit is what unites us even when we are separated by distance or location. God, we pray for a healing touch. We pray for recovery, for restoration, rest, and healing for all of those who need it this morning. God, we praise you for the healing and the restoration that, you, that we have seen take place over these past few weeks. God, we thank you for, for being with Larry and, and all that he dealt with, and we praise, praise you, God, that he is better, that he is here today, and we know that he is uh, just praising you for your goodness and, and your faithfulness, and so, God, we just thank you for that. God, for all of those who are here who maybe going through seasons of, of difficulty. God, those who feel like they are discouraged, those who are facing impossible circumstances, 
those who are feeling uh, displaced or disoriented, whether spiritually or physically, God, I pray that you would draw near to them. And as we're going to see in, in this, this message today, God, we are going to remind ourselves of your faithfulness, of your provision. God, we're going to be reminded that you are good, that you are faithful, that you give us what we need when we need it. And so, God, I pray that you would fill us with your peace and your presence so that we are, are reminded that we can trust in you, that you are good, you are faithful, and you will continue to be. God, we love you. We praise your holy name. We thank you, God, for loving us. Flawed and broken as we may be, God, we, we stand and remain humbled at the love that you continue to lavish upon us. And may we simply respond to that love this morning. We pray all of this faithfully in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Well, before we jump into the sermon portion this morning, uh, we have a very exciting opportunity. I'm going to come down here to the floor um, to welcome a new member into the community here at BFCN. So, Tony, I hope you have your speech prepared. I'm going to ask you to come. And no, he's not going to give a speech. We've just been giving him a hard time about that. But I am going to ask you to come up here, Tony. You, get up here. <laughs> All right, so uh, Tony uh, and his boys who are sitting here, Caden and Kobe and friend Kaysen, um, Caden and Kobe were invited to come to our preteen group, and so they had, they had been coming and attending, and I am positive, I've never even joked about this with Tony, that he came and he stayed that first night, which really stood out to me, and I told Bo later, I was like, it's nice to know that sometimes there are those parents who are just like, Church of the Nazarene, what is that? I'm going to hang out and just observe, right, and check this thing out, and so he did, and it, he came every week and stayed every week, and um, it's just been a joy to get to know Tony and his boys um, and to welcome them into the fellowship here. And so uh, a few months ago, it's been a few months already, Tony uh, went through the membership class and we were able to kind of talk about what it means to be a part of, of a local church, particularly in the Church of the Nazarene. And so Tony, all we're going to do this morning is, is kind of recap some of those themes, some of those things we talked about. Uh, but I want to share with all of you, this is a, a sacred moment. This is a, a ritual. This is something that is sacred because membership and joining and belonging to a community is significant. Uh, and, and whether or not you actually join the church, this helps us to acknowledge the importance of doing life together, right? Whether you go through a class or not, whether you just come and attend or, or go through a particular class, this is a moment for us to remember that we need community, that the body of Christ is to work together. And so we remember and recall this morning that the privileges and blessings that we have in community together in the church of Jesus Christ are sacred and they are precious, even though sometimes it's difficult, 
Amen? We acknowledge that. Sometimes it's difficult. But within this community, I hope, it's my prayer that we have a special kind of fellowship, a special kind of care, a special kind of counsel that cannot otherwise be known apart from a family, a local church of God. And within this community, there is what we hope uh, to be godly care of pastors and leaders with the teachings of the word and the inspiration of corporate worship. There is cooperation and service accomplishing together what none of us can do alone, right? We can do so much more together than what we can do alone. And so standing here with me today is Tony and I mentioned his boys And we recall this morning the doctrines upon which the church rests and how they are essential to the Christian experience. And Tony, we carefully went through those during our membership class, but we reiterate them this morning. That we believe that there is one God, that there is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We believe that the Old and New Testament scriptures are given by plenary inspiration and that they contain all truth necessary to faith and Christian living. We believe that human beings, while born into a world of sin, and we are aware of the need of the work of forgiveness through Christ, we are, are aware, made aware of the new birth that is given through and in the Holy Spirit. We acknowledge that the atonement through Jesus Christ is sufficient for the whole human race. We believe that whoever repents and believes on the Lord Jesus Christ is justified, regenerated, made new, and set free from the grips of sin. We talked about how we believe that the Holy Spirit bears witness to this new birth and also to the entire sanctification of believers. And we believe finally that our Lord will return, that the dead will be raised and final judgment will take place. So Tony, we've already talked about these things, but I ask you here today before everyone, do you wholeheartedly believe these truths? If so, say, I do. Tony, do you acknowledge Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and do you believe that he saves you even now? If so, say, I do by faith. faith. Tony, desiring to, to unite with the Church of the Nazarene, do you commit to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself? Do you commit to the mission of God as expressed in this doctrine, the fellowship and the work of the Church of the Nazarene? Will you support the teachings of the Church of the Nazarene? And will you strive only with God's help to grow in your understanding and practice of the same in a way that enhances the witness of the church? Tony, will you endeavor in every way to glorify God by a humble walk through godly conversation and holy service? by devotedly giving of your resources and by faithfully participating in the means of grace? Will you follow Jesus all the days of your life, refrain from evil with the help of the Spirit, and seek earnestly to a holiness of heart and life in the fellowship of the Lord? If so, say, I will. Tony, we welcome you into the Church of the Nazarene and into the fellowship of this local congregation with all its sacred benefits and responsibilities. I, as your pastor and friend, encourage you to prayerfully discern how God is calling you to serve in your local church. You are a part of us, and we want you to know that you're a part of us. And may Jesus, the head of the church, bless you and your boys and keep you and enable you to be faithful in all good works that your life and witness may be effective in leading others toward Christ. Tony, we welcome you.
Will you welcome Tony this morning? Just have this little certificate for you. Thank you. Listen, Tony is a fun guy. So if you haven't had the opportunity to hang out with him, I, I strongly recommend you do so because he's just fun. He brings uh, a lightheartedness and just joy into situations and, and opportunities when we're together and hanging out. And so uh, he's got some great boys there and we're just blessed. We are so blessed to have you guys a part of our church. Well, um, I'm going to invite you all this morning to stand as we open up. Uh, Matthew's gospel is where we're going to be this morning. We're going to be reading chapter 14, verses 13 through 21, probably a well-known story for many of you. And so we start this morning. Here's the word of the Lord. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and they said, this is a remote place and it's getting late. Send the crowds away so that we can go to the villages or so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, Jesus said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. How many ate that day, you ask? The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men, besides not counting women and children. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Are you thankful this morning? Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Just in case there's someone in the room who's never heard that story before, I, I underestimate sometimes, you know, as I was preparing this week, I thought, oh, this is a, a passage that was a part of the lectionary reading this week or one of them. And as I was reading through, I thought, man, sometimes those well-known passages like this one are really challenging because you got to keep it fresh and new, right, and innovative, but then I underestimate the fact that perhaps there will be someone there who has not yet read that story before, or maybe who heard it as a young child and now they're hearing it again for the first time in a long time. And so I don't want you to miss the significance of this miracle, of this moment, uh, even though many of us are quite familiar with this story. This is one of those stories. There's not many that are, and especially miracles, that are told in all four Gospels. All four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all reference the feeding of the 5,000, the miraculous feeding of the 5,000. And there are so many different, listen, <laughs> themes and ideas that we could pull from this story. I mean, you could preach a number of sermons. I 
I hereby give you my word that I'm only going to preach one of those sermons today. I promise. <laughs> um, and so as we go throughout, um, I'm going to share some slides with you. And in the slide background image today, it's a little hard to see on the, on the TVs, on the screens. Um, it definitely, from here to me, kind of looks like some blobs. Um, but I really liked this image. Sometimes I connect with scripture through images, and I really appreciate going through history, and that sounds really... Um, like a little bit, uh, okay, she likes to go through history. I like to Google, you know, uh, paintings of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And I just love to see the different artistic images that have been depicted. And it helps me to sometimes connect with the, the scripture in a way that I haven't before. And so this is an image that stood out to me. Um, this is actually a picture of, of, of the image that is painted in the, I'm going to probably butcher the name, but it's the Hagia Sophia Mosque in Istanbul, Turkey. This is uh, painted in that building, and so this is kind of a picture of that of that painting. And so that's just a fun little fact for you, um, that that's our background slide today. It is, in fact, purposeful and meaningful to the story. Um, so as I said... Um, I'm going to stick with one theme for this sermon, and the one that I was drawn to this week as I, as I prayerfully uh, determined where we ought to go with this passage, this well-known passage today, I was really drawn to the parallels. I love some good parallelism when we're reading scripture, and I was really drawn to the parallels that we see in this story and that with the story of the Exodus, the story of God rescuing the Israelites um, from, from slavery in Egypt. And there are, let me just, spoiler alert, uh, so many parallels. You could get really deep and really nerdy with some of this stuff. And I'm just barely scratching the surface. So you can also breathe that sigh of relief that we're not going to explore all of them because there are many, uh, probably more than what I even discovered this week. But there were a few that I felt like really tied together um, uh, an important message for us that is that can resonate with us even today today. Uh, I want to acknowledge that this passage begins, um, if, you've ne- if you haven't read this passage or if you're not familiar with this passage, you may wonder when Jesus hears of, of what happened and you're like, wait, what happened? Uh, that's significant because Jesus has just heard of the death of his cousin and beloved friend, John the Baptist, kind of a partner in ministry, if you will. John was a significant part of Jesus' ministry, and Jesus has just learned of his death. It was ugly, ugly death. And and so he's grieving, and understandably, even the Son of God in the flesh desires a remote place to grieve this loss. I think we can relate, right? When, When we're dealing with a significant loss and grief, we want to disconnect from others. We want to go off by ourselves and just have some time to grieve. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's finding a place by himself. But as you see, poor Jesus, he can't even have time alone to grieve. It's not long before people learn about where he is and they flock toward him. But I also love that we get a glimpse into the compassionate heart of Jesus, who 
um, maybe perhaps lays down his, his grief for a moment, pauses and, and turns his heart towards the people, the thousands of people who are coming toward him and he graciously gives himself up for them. Um, and I just love that little detail of this is the heart of Jesus. But, but then we're gonna jump in and start to note some of the parallels that we see between this story and the story of the Exodus. Now, I also appreciate remind, to remind us all that Matthew, I believe it's intentional that Matthew, who has written these things down, is recalling and wants the reader to recall the Exodus story. And we're gonna kind of get to why in a few moments, but, but you should know that these parallels are intentional, that this was purposeful, that Matthew wanted his readers, especially those who are familiar with the story of the Israelites coming out of, of slavery in Egypt, Matthew wants to remind readers of God's faithfulness then and to tie it in with this moment right now. And so we, we start off by uh, seeing in verse 13, this thing gives me a hard time. If I, if I struggle, help me out, you guys. Uh, we see in verse 13 that, that there's this little detail. This might not even seem very important or significant, but there's this detail that crowds follow Jesus on foot as he's going to this solitary place. And, and that kind of, one, I, that struck me as curious because I thought, well, why does that even have to be noted? It seems pretty obvious that thousands of people have no other way to get to where Jesus is other than on foot. And so why is that even worth noting? But I think there's a connection here. Matthew wants you to recall, or readers anyways, especially the original audience, he wants them to recall the very first time that you would read this phrase, traveled on foot or followed on foot in all of scripture. Are you with me? The very first time you read this phrase, they traveled on foot or followed on foot is in the Exodus story. In Exodus chapter 12, verse 37, the Israelites journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth. There were about 600,000 men on foot and the story goes on, but there is that connection that, that there was this significant moment of traveling to a specific place. There, there's this uh, implication of we are traveling somewhere slowly and purposefully, intentionally. And so we see that connection here. We see this other little detail. It's not odd for, for authors to record numbers and to write down numbers and things like that, but we see this interesting little small connection here in verse 21. We read, the number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. And that's just how they recorded things during, during this time. Uh, women and children were the afterthought, right? There were 5,000 men and then some women and children, but nobody cares about them. So 5,000 men, right? But there were more, much more than 5,000 people present that day is, is the point. But then when you go back to the Exodus story, there's also that mention there, a, a very similar mention. In Exodus 12, 37, you read there were about 600,000 men, a little bit more, uh, and women, on, let me start that over. There were about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. So again, that's gonna remind the reader of, of this story. And then finally, we see um, a third parallel and we see kind of pointing to a bigger theme here, uh, one that's gonna have implications 
for the reader, for the listener, in verse 15 and verse 13, what the author, what Matthew wants to communicate to you, depending on despite which translation you're reading, is that Jesus was in a desolate wilderness place. Okay, different translations say different things, solitary place, remote place. But that original Greek word points back to to Exodus, the Exodus story, the Hebrew word. Okay, and the same word is wilderness. They want you to understand they are going to the wilderness. They are secluded. They are far away from from life or other people. And they're in a desert place. There is no life there. In Exodus chapter 5, verse 1, this is what the, the listener or the reader would remember. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. There is this imagery of a wilderness, a remote desert place. And all of these parallels, all, all three of them, work together to point to a bigger theme. And we're going to note that in just a moment. But I want you to kind of understand, like, I want to build a little bit before we get there. I want to really set the scene for you to understand the parallels of these story, it's, the story, because it's actually really brilliant, in my opinion, how Matthew does this. Um, Jesus has been ministering to thousands of people all day long right? He's been, people are showing up and they're expecting healing from Jesus. They're expecting um, a touch from Jesus. They know, they've heard, they've seen what Jesus is capable of. And, and Jesus can't even have a few moments alone because people are desperate. They are flocking to him. They are desperate for what he can give them, for what he can offer them. And the disciples note at the end of the day, like we all might, it's getting late. And I can't decide, are the disciples concerned that they are tired and they need some rest, maybe, I don't know, or perhaps they're worried about all the people who are traveling back home and they're like, it's getting late, they need to go so that they can go get something to eat in the villages before they go home. But either way, it doesn't really matter what's going on there, I don't guess, but either way, their imagination is limited, right? They are here in this remote wilderness place. There's no food here. There's no, we have a couple of loaves of bread and some fish. That's not going to go very far. We have to leave this place so that we can feed all of these people. Feeding them miraculously in the wilderness is not even in the realm of possibility for the disciples, right? And to that, I would say, yeah, I get that. I understand that. And here we see Jesus' response. It's an invitation, I think, to to dream, to imagine for a moment. It it almost appears like it's a holy prompting to to lean in and really see what, 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 what is possible here. He says, they don't need to go away. Listen, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. And again, there's this, It's not connecting, right? We only have these loaves and fish. What do you mean? And then go back to the Exodus story. I I promise we're going somewhere. I just want to really make sure you understand what's happening. When you go back to the Exodus story, the story of the Israelites, uh, God bringing them out of Egypt, out of slavery, before God delivers them physically out of Egypt, 
He sends plague after plague after plague to reveal his might and power, to reveal and show that he is God, Yahweh, the one and only true God who can free his people. He sends plague after plague, crazy things that no other person can duplicate. Even the most um, admired magicians in all of Egypt, they can't do what God is doing. He has revealed himself. He has proven himself, if you will. And then as God is bringing his people out of Egypt, they come to the sea and, and they can't cross. And so God parts the waters, physically parts the waters so that they can go through on dry ground. You would think that that would stick, right? You would think that they would be like, hey, remember that time when God parted the waters? But it doesn't seem to stick. At least it doesn't seem by what we read. And then I love this. We often miss this part of the story, the Exodus story, that after they cross through the waters, God is guiding them, showing them where to go. And he sends a pillar, a cloud, a cloud to guide them by day and a pillar of fire to guide them by night. There is never a moment when the presence of God is not with his people, showing them where to go, showing them, here's the next step. Take this next step. Listen, God has continued over and over again to do the unthinkable. God has done the unimaginable, the unbelievable. He has revealed what he is capable of. And not two months later, after the Israelites are freed and out of Egypt, not less than two months later, they are complaining and revolting so much, they are so frustrated with the unpredictability of life in the wilderness and when their next meal is coming and where it's coming from that they actually out loud lament that they want to go back to Egypt. That's a whole other sermon, going back to slavery, right? When you've been freed. We're going to leave that there. Going back to Egypt when, when it's predictable. I mean, yeah, it was horrible and we were slaves and, and there was all this oppression, but at least we knew we weren't going to miss a meal, right? And so they are already forgetting what God is capable of. And we see this, this breakdown that rather than trust in the miraculous provision of God, the Israelites could only see what they were lacking in any given moment, and so as we kind of hold these two stories together, I would argue that, that, or I wouldn't argue rather, that this is the same scenario, right? I think these are two different stories, two different scenarios, but there are so many similarities as we have seen. And in both scenarios, you have people who can see what God can do, who have seen what God can do. And I think that there is still this lack of imagination when they can't see with their own eyes, when they don't know where, where the food or the provision is coming from. And what we see in both stories, I regret to inform you that I thought I included this slide and I did not. And so this is kind of a big deal, but it's not on the screen. But this other parallel that we see is how God provides miraculously for his people. In the Exodus story, listen, if you've never listened or if you've never heard or read the Exodus story before, you need to understand. Go back to the book of, of Exodus and start from Exodus chapter one and read all the way through. And at one point in the wilderness, God sends 
bread down from heaven, rains down bread from heaven called manna for his people. I mean, that's how God chose to provide for them. Bread is literally falling from the sky. It it sounds amazing. I had some bread last night with dinner, and so I thought about that, and I was like, how amazing. And this was no ordinary bread. It was special, holy, heavenly God bread. (laughs) And it rained down from the sky. And even after God would do that, It wasn't long before they were like, okay, well, when's the next load coming? And can we store enough for tomorrow? Because I'm kind of doubting that there will be enough for tomorrow too, right? It doesn't matter what God does. There's always this lack of imagination. And in this story, now Jesus, granted, doesn't cause bread to fall down from heaven, but still, unbelievably, miraculously, you read the story, you know basic math. There's five loaves of bread and two fish, and and God multiplies that. Jesus multiplies that and feeds over 5,000 people, right? That doesn't happen. That's miraculous. And I think there is something to be said that in both of these stories, as we think about the themes, the parallels in both of these stories, that you have this group of people who maybe come with certain expectations, that God will provide how they think he ought to provide. There are these expectations that God, you better do what we expect you to do at the time that we expect you to do it, or we are going to question you and wonder what it is you're doing exactly. Perhaps in both stories, there was this group of people who come with, with specific expectations, but perhaps they fail to come expectantly when it comes to a kingdom mindset. I hope that makes sense. That's just this phrase that kept coming to my head over and over this week. And and I'm sure it breaks down at some point, but do you see what I'm saying? That they come with expectations, but they don't come expectantly. Does that make sense? If it doesn't, like I wanna help you to see where my mind went because it's different. There's a difference between coming before God with expectations. Here's what I expect you to do for me, God. And there's a difference between that, that heart, and and that of coming before God saying, God, I don't know what you're going to do, and I don't know how you're going to do it. I don't know how this situation is going to work out, but I've seen you before, and I know you'll do it again. And I think if, if the disciples who... By the way, I am not preaching this from a place of judgment. I am not casting judgment on either party. I'm just acknowledging how easy it is for us to be like those who are like, what? There's only, you see what's here. What do you want me to do with this? This is not enough, right? We are all those people at times, right? And in the Exodus story, you you see, you have these people who expected God to, to do certain things. And when he didn't, even Moses at one point even Moses is like, ah, oh, this isn't happening fast enough. I need to do something now. And, and, he, and he diverts, and it's so tragic. But I think that there are times when you're reading through the story of the Israelites that you're not seeing a, a people that have just been rescued out of slavery. At times, you're seeing an angry mob who is like, give me what I want now, or I'm going to revolt and, and turn against you. And I think that this crowd in the, in the Matthew story, in this miracle, this feeding of the 5,000, I don't think that's how they were coming before Jesus. But I do think there is something to be said that they came with expectations and what Jesus does for them is beyond anything that they could have asked for 
or imagined, which is the character of God. Amen? I think both crowds are surprised at the ways in which the kingdom of God is coming on earth as it is in heaven. I think both crowds are seeing that everything, especially in the gospels, we see this, that things are being flipped upside down. And I really loved how one pastor, I was reading um, some of their commentaries, and, and I loved how, how they said that this to them wasn't, uh, the, the miracle here wasn't in the bread or the fish, but that it was in the feeding. And he says, you have this hectic crowd, this chaotic crowd, maybe even consumeristic crowd. Maybe, it's possible, right? We are we're people, we expect things. And they're expecting one thing, and Jesus goes and does beyond that which they could imagine. And he says, suddenly, this hectic, maybe even consumeristic crowd is sitting on the grass in the wilderness, in a desolate place, in the middle of nowhere, and they find themselves fed and satisfied and sitting in the overflowing benevolence of God. Can you imagine that scene? A crowd that's showing up with with maybe good and holy expectations, and yet they were not prepared for the ways that they would get a glimpse of the kingdom of God that day. And I want to say again before we close, this is not a message of shame or judgment. It could sound like that. I don't mean to cast judgment on either party in either story. I do think that, they, what they, uh, that their imaginations were limited, but guess what? That just represents us. Me and how my imagination is very often, especially when I'm in need, is limited. I think that we put God in a box at times and we expect God to do certain things at certain times with certain people in certain ways. And when he doesn't, we begin to question and we begin to limit the ways that God actually is and can and wants to move both in our lives and in the lives of those around us. When, when the testimony or the story, if you will, if we were honest, is that So many times we came before God looking for a meal and he gives us a banquet. Amen? We're looking for just one little teeny tiny piece and and he sets out a banquet. So often I have come before God looking for a healing touch just once God and he restores and heals completely. I think so often we come before God, we have come before God, and we're just looking for mercy or a pardon, and he gives us total and complete freedom, uh, sonship, adoptionship. I'm just looking for you to free me or to pardon me, and he gives us adoptionship and calls us his. I think so often we can say that we've been like the prodigal son who is just hoping to be invited in as a servant after our wandering and squandering, and yet we are invited back in as son, and he throws us a party. So often we're looking for temporary relief from something, and yet we receive complete freedom. Friends, I could go on. This is who God is. This is who God has always been. And it's so consistent with what we see in in Jesus' life, right? Didn't he say something like, I've come to give you 
full and abundant life. Life to the full, lacking nothing, overflowing with so much more than you could ask or imagine. I have one more significant connection to make, but I want us to pause here in this moment. I'm going to ask the praise team to come, and we're going to, as we always do, this is an intentional time of reflection and response. And and after that, we're going to transition to receiving communion, and there's this really cool connection with that, too, that I want to make. But first, I want us to not rush past this moment. I want us to, to sit in and to dwell in the goodness and presence of God and remind ourselves as we ask God to help us to remember that there have been times and that there are times, maybe for some right now, where this is easier said than done. Listen, I, one of the things I thought this week is like, this feels like a very elementary message and concept, like, this is a well-known passage, and this is a, 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 a often-preached theme, I think. But then I was reminded that when you're in the season of, of, of immense awareness of all that you lack, and you're in the season of, I don't know how this is going to work out. I don't know where, where provision is, is going to come from. When you're in the thick of that, that is when this becomes incredibly difficult and all of a sudden it's a lot deeper and a lot less elementary. Am I right? When you're in that season, when you're so desperate for the provision and abundance of God, there's a tension there. And so I don't know if you're in that place this morning, if you're expecting something from God, or if maybe this for others is just an opportunity to to remember and to reflect that every time you had a need, that in some way, even if it came in a surprising way, God provided. And so God, we uh, pause here in this moment. And God, we invite you to meet us here and to help us remember of the times in our lives that you have been faithful and the times that you have miraculously provided for us. And God, we also declare again today that maybe we're not in those seasons, but but we know that those seasons come and they come unexpectedly. And so God, we declare in faith this morning that, that when those seasons come, that we will do our best only with your help to recall and remember your faithfulness and to not come with specific expectations, but instead to come expectantly as we wait for the abundance of God. Help us to work out these these tensions in our heart and would you just draw near to us as we declare that we need you every moment of every day. Amen. Amen. You can stand with us as we sing. We could easily have sang a song this morning about the goodness and the faithfulness of God. Goodness of God would have been a good option. But instead, we're coming to the table. We're going to sing. It is about the faithfulness of God, but in light of our neediness for him. I think the reason why the children of Israel 
struggled with the idea of manna, even though it seems like this wonderful thing, is because they had no control over it. And they didn't want God to just give them manna that would last for one day, because that means tomorrow I'm needy again. But that's the reality of our situation, even when we have the illusion of control and we think that we've, we're doing pretty well for ourselves. We're doing great. We've got money in the bank. We've got a job. We're doing pretty good. I feel good. I'm, I'm growing. I'm patient. I can love people. But the reality is, and we need this reminder all the time, that we need him, desperately need him. Francis Chan often says that the, every breath that you take is because God is allowing you to breathe. The fact that we're breathing and alive right now is because he's allowing us to live. We need him even just to breathe. So as we sing this this morning, I hope that these words aren't just words to you, but you can internalize and, and meditate and think about what we're saying to God because as we come to the table, it's this reminder, Jesus wouldn't have died if we could have saved ourselves. Why would he do that? He knew that we needed him. We need him for everything. Amen. Let's sing this together.
You may be seated. Like I said, I want to point out one more thing as we prepare to receive communion together this morning. One of the brilliant things about Matthew's telling of this miracle is that not only was it a uh, reminding the readers or the listeners of what God has done, but in this story is also a foreshadowing of what Jesus will do. If you're familiar with the, the Last Supper, Jesus takes the bread and he breaks it and he gives it to his disciples. And in this story, Jesus takes the loaves of bread and he asks God to bless them and he breaks them and he begins to distribute them. I love how how Professor Nicholas Schasser says, at the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus gives the bread to his disciples and they give it to the crowds. By repeating this scene at the Last Supper, the gospel implies that Jesus dies to release the crowds of his followers from their bondage to sin. And Matthew's rendition of the miraculous feeding both tells or reminds of the exodus and foreshadows the crucifixion to underscore Jesus' role as the savior of his people. So I'm going to invite Bo to come, and and we're going to receive communion. And I want you to hold these uh, things together this morning, that, that we serve a God who is faithful to provide what we need and when we need it. And Jesus, as he laid down his life for us, he offers us freedom and wholeness, salvation, full and abundant life. And, and one of the reminders of communion is that Jesus continues to give more of himself to us. And so I often invite you all to, when you're dismissed, I invite you to come with, with your hands cupped open. You don't have to, but it's an invitation as a reminder that you are coming and seeking to be filled, not by me, <laughs> You will be very disappointed, but you're coming to be filled by Jesus and him alone. And this is just a sign of expectation and openness to all that he wants to do. And so in a moment, you're going to be dismissed. An usher will come and dismiss your row, and you can come forward. And I know we did a membership moment earlier, but uh, you do not have to be a member here to participate in communion, to receive communion. It's uh, open to all. If you realize your awareness, your need for for Christ and his saving grace in your life, you are invited to receive that tangible grace this morning. And so uh, as we always begin, I'm going to ask those who are not able to physically come forward to slip up your hand and I will come and serve you in this moment. Lord Jesus, we thank you for inviting us to your table We thank you for these gifts that we can hold in our hands that that tangibly remind us. Grace that we can touch and feel. These are reminders of your love for us and the freedom that is offered only through you. And as we receive these elements in a way that only you can do, Jesus, would you be present and would you help these to strengthen us as we go out into our world 
and as we offer up ourselves for others so that they might come to know your love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, on the night that our Lord was betrayed, we read that he took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take this and eat and do so in remembrance of me. So friends, I invite you to take, eat, and be thankful this morning. And after supper, Christ took the cup and he said, take this and drink. This is my blood that has been shed for you and for the forgiveness of your sins. So friends, as you take and drink this morning, be thankful. And now I invite you to stand. And we're going to close with the doxology this morning. grace and peace of our Lord. May you trust in the abundant provision of God and the ways that he is going to provide for all that you need. Go expectantly with an imagination that's ready to receive all of the kingdom of God that is offered to us. You are loved. You are dismissed. Have a wonderful day.